0: Fresh Economic Thinking podcast: new ideas and analysis with Dr. Cameron Murray and Jonathan Gadir.
1: Welcome back to the Fresh Economic Thinking podcast. Uh, you're with Dr. Cameron Murray, uh, and today I've got a special guest, Aiden Morrison. I actually met Aiden online quite a few years ago now, and I believe uh, that when we first encountered each other, we had a bit of a barney about some technical assumptions behind uh, the ABS measurements of resident population. And Aiden, like he does, read all the technical appendices of the ABS documents documents and made me aware that there was actually a difference between the physically present population and the resident population. So Aiden's the type of guy that really likes to get into the details and doesn't mind, like me, having a bit of a barney uh, in order to get to the bottom of a problem. I wanted to have Aiden on the show today because he's having another Barney, but this time with a couple of Australia's major institutions in energy and science, namely CSIRO and AEMO. AEMO. Uh, Aiden, like he does, read all the technical documents and appendices and realised that the story we're hearing about renewals, renewables being the lowest cost way to reduce emissions in electricity might just be uh, a convenient story and not what an objective interpretation of the underlying data takes you. Uh, Aidan has published some of this analysis on the Fresh Economic Thinking site in July under the title, the sunk cost trickery that makes renewables seem cheaper than they are. That helped Aiden get some attention and the Barney continues today. So let's dig into some details. Uh, Aiden, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Cameron. Really great to be here. Really good. Maybe we should start. Who are you to think that you can have a Barney with Australia's experts in, and I'm using inverted commas with my fingers here, in yeah. energy economics and policy? Uh, good question. Uh, look. I'm no one really, like I have um, had a, a, a
0: sort of a lay interest in uh, energy for a long time. I, I don't mind having a disagreement and sort of, you know, swinging hard at, a, at an argument, a position, I, you know, I picked the, picked the handle Quixotic Quant because I think it's just a fun way of describing that attitude, that it's worth just um, charging at something um, and seeing, seeing what comes crashing down um, every now and again. So I, I worked my career mostly as a data scientist in terms of my paid career, but I've had a kind of entrepreneurial and somewhat colorful and uh, interesting background. I owned a bar restaurant for a while and launched a, a sort of a forecasting startup, tech startup to forecast uh, hospitality turnover in small bars and restaurants like the one that I had with some friends um, in my neighborhood. Um, mm. uh, worked on a military technology project. It was my biggest uh, sort of earliest venture um but I I don't have any particular industry experience or academic qualification um I just got into a little row on Twitter and decided to read past the executive summary and um and scratch deep enough to and then swing back uh when I found the uh when I found the arguments that uh people were using to debunk what I thought was a fairly clear and sensible position were completely completely unfounded uh, in the details so that's how it started just a, a Twitter argument
1: And I just kept going, and it sort of snowballed from there. Wow. You know, a lot of people hate Twitter, and they hate the argumentation and the nitpicking. But I think, like you, I've found it very good for finding the right people with the right expertise and really narrowing in on their assumptions and the the data they're relying on very quickly. Um, So this, I I wasn't aware that really you were just... um, you know, reading about renewable energy and electricity, and and and, and came across a, something you thought didn't seem right, and then it snowballed from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and that what, was right. I, at the what start, was it that here, didn't seem right. What was it?
0: Uh, it was um, it was GenCost. Uh, I I had made the point that the energy transition is going to get harder from here because we'd reached the point where we'd had enough renewables in our system that we could just always basically dial down the existing uh, gas and coal generators to make room for renewables wherever and when they were. And I I was sort of conscious that at a certain point, you start having to move energy around in space and time, and that drives up system costs. That means you've got to have more storage and more transmission um, because you have too much energy in one place in time and you need to move it to a different place or time, which is when it is actually needed. And so I made this point in a Twitter argument and said, look, you know, uh, things are going to get harder because we, you know, as we go higher and higher in terms of the amount of renewables in the system, we'll need more of this. And I had someone swing back in with this, with this king hit slapdown, or so it felt, from mm-hmm. the CSIRO gen cost. And I had never, I hadn't read the report; was barely aware that it existed. And they uh, quoted this, uh, this graph that showed, and and the line, the kind of the tweet was something to the effect of, "Oh, of course we appreciate that's an effect, but it's been quantified by CSIRO, and look here, it's tiny." Um, don't worry about that at all. Um, they've 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 measured this and they've got the answer and it's a really, really tiny effect. And so I looked at the graph and indeed CSIRO claimed to have incorporated the transmission and storage costs and it was a very tiny effect. And I was perplexed by this and had to momentarily kind of see the point and say, look, I'm very confused and sorry. And initially I thought that they hadn't incorporated the full costs and then I read the paragraph above and it looked like they had and then I decided to read the full report and look for where their methodology for producing that graph was. And I discovered they had omitted all the heavy lifting up to 2030 uh, and treated that as a sunk cost in a business as usual scenario. And so then I decided to write the thread that kind of really uh, took off uh, and kicked off this um, this whole process. And and you uh, kindly republished a, a, a better version of on uh, on fresh economic mm. thinking.
1: where it started so can i just dig into this because i i think we need to really lay out um, the the physics of the problem and i think that's where you came from you understood that um, the trick with renewable energy is its variable over time and variable energy and stable reliable energy are not the same thing variable energy uh, comes at different places and at different times, uh, and so you have to move it through transmission wires, or store it in batteries, or pumped hydro, so that you can use it when it's needed. And um, and so you came with this sort of um, clear physical um, reality that if you if a little bit of your generation is variable, then you only have to move a little bit of that variable energy around um so taking Actually, the solar from the day to the evening or from one location to another but when it's a huge part of the generation you have to move a huge amount of energy around is that a good way of describing um the problem that you had in your mind and yeah. yeah it's it's no
0: it's even more than it's more acute than that even if you have a little bit of energy that you can't control the variable energy that you can't control and that's the key thing it's not so much that it's variable is that you can't control mm when it varies right so uh-huh. if there's a little bit of energy that you can't control you can take whatever arrives whenever it arrives and slot that into your system by just reducing the bit that you can control uh-huh. and turning that down um so a little bit uh, doesn't need to be moved at all you just uh-huh. accept it on your rooftop solar panel on the nearest wind farm and it just goes into the grid and whatever electrons were flowing there before you just turn them back because you can do that for some energy sources right. and you just make new stuff to slot in so there is There is no moving around of the first bit of uh, variable renewable energy at all. It's, It's only at the point, which is the point that Australia and a few other Western countries or jurisdictions are reaching now, when you get to the point where you've got enough wind and solar that on a nice, bright, windy day, you have more than enough energy at one place at that time then you need to start moving energy around. And that tends to be around the 30% to 40% level where you start to really need to move energy around. So we've seen nothing yet. And everyone that uh-huh. says, oh, renewables have been growing so fast and renewables have been, uh, um, you know, seem so cheap. Yep. They're quite right. That's how they have been till now. But that means nothing about what the next 60% of the decarbonization process looks like because it's only just starting to get hard.
1: At and so point. what... And and so you're saying we're just starting a point where we have to move energy around and there's a huge cost in terms of transmission lines, pumped hydro, batteries, yep. things. Yep. Um, and so if I'm understanding correctly, when you read CSIRO's report, they assumed away these costs. Yep, that's right. Can you, right. Can you explain what they did?
0: Yeah. 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 So for, for some reason, actually, they've clarified this reason. Um, they wanted to, because of because they understood the hypothesis that I hold and that it is true, is that it's the high levels of renewable energy where the costs become greater. They decided they would um, uh, try to calculate what the cost would be of integrating the next bit of renewables when you already had quite a bit of renewables in the grid. And they chose roughly and 2030 as the time when they would say we're going to start thinking about the cost from that point onwards but then they used I think a completely dishonest and deceptive sleight of hand where they said we're going to start the clock at 2030 and just presume that everything that we've built in the previous decade that we required because we're going to keep building renewables in particular massive massive interconnectors in the transmission network between New South Wales and Victoria and linking up the snowy hydro scheme and the snowy hydro dam itself and another link to Tasmania and another future pumped hydro scheme in Tasmania all of those because we're going to build them in before 2030 we're going to remove them from the cost of all the other variable renewable energy that's going to come after it and that to me is indefensible absolutely indefensible because you build infrastructure before you need it you can't mm-hmm. use it while you're building it so you weren't building all those projects in the 2030s because of the energy that you already had connected in the 2030s you're building them for the stuff you're about to connect in the 20 uh you know sorry in the 2020s you're building them for the stuff that comes after that so that cost is justified by the latest stuff and they just completely removed that they treated it as a business as usual and a sunk cost and they justified that by saying just recently it's come out in a press release in october they said that that was because they were only considering the cost of renewables to an energy investor in 2030. So CSIRO has now admitted they were not considering the cost of energy for the end user. They weren't considering the cost of of renewables for the whole system. They weren't considering the broader public good. They were only considering the costs of renewables to a private investor entering the market. And And that was their basis for Um, basically removing the costs, assuming to be zero, the costs of all the stuff that consumers would have to commit to paying for before then, or taxpayers would pay for, which I think is indefensible. Um, But that's now
1: come out as the clarification of why they did that. So let me just summarise my understanding. The interconnectors are those high-voltage power lines on those massive, you know, frames that you see going across the countryside. Is that right? right? That's right, yeah. And so we're building... Heaps of them, aren't we? Out to all the places where there'll be solar areas and wind farms and and connecting New South Wales to Queensland. They are the costs that we're going to spend today and then we're going to pretend that connecting those, uh, what do they call them? Renewable energy zones with those massive power lines. We're going to pretend that those costs don't count when it comes to the renewable energy from those zones. Is that basically right? That's basically right, And then the trick is that for the consumer of electricity, uh, when we calculate the regulated price, we add those costs in to make sure, you know, we get paid, the public gets paid. But for the generator, if I was starting a new wind farm, because I wouldn't be paying that cost, it looks like it's cheap for me because the consumer gets to pay the transmission cost. I don't have to pay it. So it looks like I just put some solar panels on a farm and plug in yeah, look how cheap that was yeah that's exactly yeah. right and the
0: reason that's really significant well there's and there's there's more to it even than that um because yeah the there's you can measure the cost of electricity at the power station gate it's called the wholesale price how much it costs okay. for them to produce it and send it into the grid but the cost of electricity that we pull out of the power point in the wall is more than that it's the cost of what it took for the power producer to send it out the gate of their power station into the grid and it's the cost of all the wires that get it from the power station mm-hmm. to our home right and there's and that's both it's two different networks we call them the transmission network which is high voltage and then the distribution network which is the ones that are the smaller smaller towers in your street um they're the low voltage ones but we have to pay for both those costs and then sometimes we have to pay for additional environmental policies and subsidies on top of that that's a smaller cost as well things like the Mm-hmm. LRET um, and things like that. So, uh, uh, um, uh, I think that's the name of the acronym. And then there's also the retailers; they have to make a margin as well. So the cost that we pay is not the same as the cost of the generator sending it out. And the reason it's really significant is because the system that's been that CSIRO has tried to price in their Gen Cost report is the system is is essentially giving a guide to how much the electricity generators can um, can uh, promise they will to charge to push it into the grid mm. it hasn't got to do with what people will have to pay uh consumers in particular to take it out it also um, uh, they are able to um finance their projects on these Ford on these contracts these basically power purchase agreements and so if they can assume that someone else is paying for the all the uh transmission projects uh in a regulatory base it helps to make it look very cheap for them to say, oh, wow, we're producing power quite cheaply mm. um, because someone else is meeting the cost of those distribution networks. Um, so that's it helps them to it helps to create the impression that renewables are cheap um, because of their at the power station gate costs uh, being identified, not the, what it takes to pull the power out of the wall socket costs.
1: And And so so let's just say you've got this stack of costs for the consumer when you pay at your house your electricity let's yeah. just say i'm paying a hundred dollars of electricity yeah. Yeah. um how much of that hundred is the generation of power and how much is the rest the transmission the levies the um retail and managing my account like yeah. Is, uh, is yeah what's what's the ballpark there split the generation is about 40 percent
0: generation half. is 40 percent. so it's less than half That's right less than half of the of the of your power bill price is the actual power more than half is what it takes to get
1: the power to you okay so That's the right. bulk of the cost is not putting energy in at one end but yeah. transmitting it and managing the accounts and you know the distribution of it um and yeah. so when when the CSIRA says it's cheap well this this, the smallest component is reasonably cheap but what they're doing is they're adding more cost to the larger component and not telling anyone about it that's exactly correct exactly correct and the same thing is replicated
0: as well in the AEMO integrated system plan where they assume for example that the biggest single part which is the distribution network costs are fixed No matter how many new electric cars we add, no matter how much electrification of heating we add, no matter how many power walls, no matter what rate and speed we need to discharge and recharge all those power walls off each other, the distribution network costs they assume to be fixed throughout the entire period of modelling out to 2050, when in fact the reality is the distribution networks are raising their prices and flagging they intend to raise their prices in the next regulatory period right now to accommodate exactly those things. And they quote, AEMO's ISP and the targets for distributed energy resources as the reason for raising prices in the next regulatory period. Um so that's that's exactly it. And it is absurd and
1: unreasonable as that. And so CSIRO, let me just get all the acronyms together, is the Commonwealth Science and Industrial Research Organization, if I've remembered. They're, they're a federal government scientific body. Right. They what was what was their involvement? Which report did they produce and why?
0: Yeah. They, their their involvement is to produce the report called Gen cost, which is mm-hmm. the cost of generating the electricity. Um, now okay. th- there's a there's a nexus between that report and the report that's the, produced by Aemo. Aemo is the Australian energy market operator, and they mm-hmm. produce the ISP, which is the integrated system plan. Now the reason these two are linked is because, Gen cost considers the capital costs of building the power station. And they also try to calculate the levelized cost of energy, which includes not just the capital cost, but also the fuel costs, maintenance costs, and life cycle costs, as in when mm-hmm. you need to dispose of the power plant, how long it lasts for, etc. So that's the, that's the average price at the power station gate, if you like, of producing the electricity over the life cycle of the plant. And they produce that. The reason they collaborate with, the ISP that's produced by AEMO is that they have attempted to do this adjustment for levelized cost of electricity, which doesn't attempt to incorporate the effect of the intermittent nature of renewables. They're trying to adjust for that, or they're claiming they're trying to adjust for that by incorporating the costs of extra transmission, storage, and firming power, the backup generators when there's not enough wind and solar. And they need to refer to AEMO's much more complex in-depth report, the ISP, to figure out how much batteries we are likely to need at some year in the future and how much extra pumped hydro we're likely to need at some year in the future. And that's the link that they have with the ISP. And they're quoting the ISP and saying, oh, look, if we just jump forward to the ISP projections at 2030, oh, it turns out we don't need to build quite as many Hmm. new big interconnectors between the states um, at that point because they're already built. And so we won't <laughs> add any new costs there um, for the next bit of renewables. Um, uh, and similarly, they also replicate other major assumptions of the ISP. So, for example, the vast majority of the battery storage that's used to store power from renewables is actually in what we call behind-the-meter uh, storage, which is power walls and Teslas, like electric cars, that are plugged back in to support the grid. Right. The ISP does not incorporate that as a cost because they assume oh. that consumers are going to buy them anyway and provide oh. those services back to the grid of their own accord without any sort of payment or incentive structure that represents a system cost. So, so let me SRO just... replicates that mistake as well and doesn't incorporate the cost of most of the batteries.
1: So let me just be clear. You just said that we are assuming that we don't need as much transmission for the extra variable renewal sorry you are you saying these reports assume we don't need as much transmission because they instead assume that every household will have a battery that will help reduce the variability of the grid and that cost is just ignored yep okay amazing okay i'm gonna maybe take it up a level here so you've um read these reports in probably about as much detail as anyone except the authors of the report which is actually the norm, I think, in a lot of these um, big technical documents produced by these agencies. Um, so I want to sort of speculate on the sort of political pressures involved. But but firstly, I want to say if if you had all the information they had, and now that you've read more than anyone, what, how different would if you wrote the report, right? these reports the gen cost which is the cost of generation how Mm. how different would it look in terms of um the story that we're sold that you know renewables are the cheapest transition path um yeah how different like uh, quite a lot just a little bit is this a huge issue i think i think
0: very very different um renewables look cheap when you've just got a little bit of them in the system like at that point before you start moving them around Um, so having yeah I think if I was writing the gen cost report I mean there's two approaches you can take you can either say we're just calculating the levelized cost of energy and we're not trying to incorporate how complex things get when you go to high levels of renewables and lots of reports do this right it's very common for um uh reports that try to add up the cost of electricity like Lazards for example they will produce um, a report that is heavily it and say there are other costs associated. Do not rely on this for purposes other than certain purposes that it's useful for. Or they'll put in a additional. It's kind of a token, but maybe useful amount of attributed storage, and say we're not building out the full system, but if you added a little bit of storage to help here, this is how it changes the cost, um, which is sort of a token step in the right direction, but it doesn't mean you're going to have reliable electricity from that source. It's just a step mm-hmm. in the right direction. It's sort of a common kind of pairing. Um, and so you can do those kind of steps and just say, I'm not doing the full deep dive into how our full system works and just say, here's an estimate of just the levelized cost of energy and minor tweaks to it. Or you can do it properly and do what they call a levelized full system cost of energy, where you do attempt to figure out the full cost of the system, including all the distribution networks and all the storage and calculate the cost of the entire system. Um, GenCost has done this awkward halfway step in between, which does Mm -hmm. not match any academic or industry standard anywhere in the world, so far as I can tell. It's a total outlier that's tried to do a a bigger than usual correction, but based on a sort of a full system uh, design that doesn't incorporate half the costs of the system anyway and so mm. that landed in this completely strange space but I would think that if I was doing the analysis and trying to incorporate the full costs you'd find that renewables noticeably above 40 50 percent start to become very expensive indeed
1: um and, 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 and what alternative think- becomes cheaper that's my question um yeah good I have in mind for example if if transmission costs get so high is switching from coal to gas at the same facility at the same location that's already connected to the same transmission lines, a good way to reduce emissions at low cost? Do you, Relative. Does, Is that what
0: yeah, you think I so? Think that, that's, that's a... That's a um, uh, the cost of gas is an extremely significant sensitivity there. Um, uh-huh. So okay. it might not be low cost depending on how much... Um, your gas costs, that's a key thing. And in Australia, we don't burn currently a very big volume of gas. So if we wanted to switch all our coal to gas power generation, for example, Mm -hmm. we'd have to do a bit of work to figure out where that gas comes from. And that Mm -hmm. might actually be developing new fields or figuring out how to, I don't know, import it or pipe it from some of the export projects we have or rewriting those project costs. So that's not a simple and obvious uh, would be cheaper one although you could definitely cut carbon emissions significantly roughly in half by switching just from mm. coal to gas, um, which is uh, a significant one. Um, and the other one, of course, to think about, which we can't, we're not allowed to think about properly in <laughs> Australia, but it's still banned is to think about nuclear um, because nuclear has very low operating costs. Um, uh, once you've built it, all the costs yeah. are kind of loaded. It's complicated and expensive to build it and verify that you built them safely and correctly. Once they're built, though, they're just a dream to run and really great for the grid. And the the, the the amount of fuel they require is so small, as the overall proportion that fluctuations in the price of uranium don't really change the price of electricity very much um, at all. So it's it's um, that's the other thing that would probably become very cost competitive. If you mm. try to deco- and of course, nuclear has basically zero carbon emissions. There's just the embodiment of the concrete, which is only six grams
1: or so um, per kilowatt hour as opposed to a thousand for coal so it's a huge difference and and my understanding is that the lifetime of a nuclear plant once you've built it is much much longer than the lifetime of a wind farm or a solar farm and even and and i think people think with solar you know you build the 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 panels and it's set and forget but solar and, and and wind are actually build the turbines and the panels plus the extra transmission and storage yes. and everything as a bundle, <laughs> uh, right. whereas nuclear, it's just the facility, um, and it's not this transmission bundle because that's not needed. And so when yeah. you when you you want a comparing like for like, um, yeah, you need to include those sunk costs. So if we really did a like for like with nuclear, well, we could just basically say, oh, uh, the concrete is a sunk cost. Uh, only the stuff after we've poured the concrete is, <laughs> is the generation cost, the turbine or the reactor, right? Couldn't we? <laughs> you, could, you, <laughs> because, could do, you could do
0: a number of things like that. All uh, the regulatory uh, costs, all, uh, you know, you could sink whatever costs you like if they want to do it the same way that they've done it for renewables, which is just uh,
1: incredible. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I feel like there's some... and I've been involved in government departments where there is a political pressure to say, hey, this is the way we're going, like it or not. Can you please write reports that fit the way we're going? Um, So I get there's a, you know, I don't know what to call this phenomenon, but when a technical discussion or debate gets a political flavour, all of a sudden it becomes very, very hard to have honest technical debates still. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what this pattern should be called, but I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. And another case of that you discovered and I just want to sort of wrap up with this is um this switching to gas idea so same sort of um idea switching off gas, switching off gas yeah for residential use um Grant cool. Institute wrote a report which is you know we sort of decided politically we're getting off um fossil fuels right and they wrote a report about switching to gas for residential homes and particularly in Victoria. And that's another one that you read to the appendices. And yeah. it had a similar sort of um, uh, pattern of um, putting some weird assumptions in and then almost ignoring your own results. What was the story there?
0: Yeah, yeah. Grattan's um, report that supported the uh, the the kind of in placement of a gradual ban on installing new gas appliance, etc in Victoria. It was it was an absolute shocker. Um, uh, from the very start, they started with this uh, opening statement about how significant the gas contribution to carbon emissions was. but actually the number they had there 22 percent was for all our nation's emissions of gas, and that is almost entirely from industrial and export purposes. Um, mm. And power generator, and almost none of it is from the actual gas burn in the home. It's about two percent of Australia's carbon emissions, that come from gas burnt in the home. And most of that's in Victoria, and so they started with just kind of like, I mean, the start of the start of any kind of policy proposal should be, how big is the prize? Why does this matter? And mm. they just completely skipped over the fact that they were focusing now on the smallest little edge case of the prize, and they were ignoring the rest of it. And then they proceeded to Basically, their analysis showed that if we switched a gas um, heating and burning household for hot water and everything to and, and cooking and heating to an electric home that had state of the art, best heat pump appliances, amazing efficiency levels, you'd still emit more carbon in Victoria today because all of the carbon dioxide um, that's produced by burning brown coal, the amount of brown coal they burn in Victoria, would be worse than. The gas burn in the home. And that makes perfect sense thermodynamically because actually gas is quite a clean fuel. And when you burn it right next to the thing you're trying to heat up, when your end product mm-hmm. is heat, that is so much more efficient than you burning it in a power station to create steam, to spin a turbine, to create electricity, to send down a wire to get to your home, to heat in an element, another wire to create heat. Um, yeah. it's actually very efficient to just burn it next to the thing you're trying to heat up, which is what you do when you heat your dinner or your your shower water. Um, uh, using that so it requires basically uh, these tremendous assumptions about having the best most amazing consistently installed state-of-the-art heat pump appliances in every electric home and also the most outrageous assumption which I'm absolutely absolutely gobsmacked by is this assumption as well that the electricity that you draw to power those appliances when you turn them on will represent the average amount of electricity average amount of carbon emissions of a grid that has some wind and solar in it Um, when in fact the heating demand in particular is a very peaky load very seasonal and it Mm. happens to come when we have the worst amount of sunshine in the least sunny state and you would probably be at the times when you want to turn on and increase the new demand from your extra heating and extra cooking requirements you'd probably be turning on uh more gas-fired or coal-fired um power generation in the grid and this is this is an absolutely shocking marginal versus average uh, mistake that they have made it's a hard error it's an absolutely factual error in their analysis and they've just failed to consider it at all um and so it would actually probably push Australia's carbon Victoria's carbon emissions up substantially for probably several decades still to switch to gas and yet the conclusion was we have to do this anyway it's uh it's going to happen and they kind of twisted and bent their conclusions and walked back previous assumption previous analysis of their own about the cost of the distribution network that we required to to have that increase in peak electricity demand uh in winter so yeah really really shocking report from an an organization that I once had a lot of time for and respect for in terms of the quality of or you know the,
1: the content of their analysis and the way they tend to to lay things out it's it's funny that you mentioned you know stop burning gas in the home start burning brown coal in the evenings in winter in Victoria Uh, a friend of mine often says to me I said oh why don't you get a Tesla um you know he works in the coal industry and he goes yeah I probably should get a coal-powered car instead of a petrol-powered one shouldn't I (laughs) and um you know this substitution into the electricity um and increasing demand there uh you know I think we need to be a little bit honest that uh, about the way things are and the cost to wait to get to the way we want things to be when it comes to um, electricity. And I I think these are two examples: one one relatively minor, the Grattan report, and one pretty substantial and institutional that uh, has really drifted away from I don't know more concrete uh, and honest analysis and really into. Uh, you know the polit- reflecting back to us the politics of the day, which I think is a bit unfortunate. indeed Is there, any, is there anything be. you want to add uh, in, in 30 seconds or less that maybe uh, you think is important for the audience to appreciate um, or reiterate? Uh, I think no I think you've said it
0: very well. Um, I mean, it's always worth reading things in detail. And as well, the more that I've looked at this and, uh, and scratched the surface, I've realized that I'm actually not the first to have read some of the detail quite a bit better. Uh-huh. And there's been a lot of official submissions that have been put into the CSIRO and AEMO by other people that have noticed problems as well. And I'm deeply concerned by the response that they have been given often. And that's, um, that's really, I suppose, worrying and upsetting and confirms potentially the worst of your fears about things being politically determined from uh, above. And prior to the actual analysis being done, uh, that that serious analysis and submissions are sort of swept aside or given a, a token dismissal, uh, which is a real shame. So, read all those too, read the submissions and the consultation processes. It's very enlightening.
1: Terrific. Uh, well, the Barney today was Aidan's Barney with many institutions in Australia. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on and really get to those details. That's what it's all about here at Fresh Economic Thinking, and I look forward to chatting again. Thanks very much, Cameron. Great.